Alright fellas, let's get started. We're going to open in prayer and then we'll jump into a couple minutes of review. And then look at the, the new stuff in the Making of a Champion series. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this day and for this time. Thank you for the beauty of your creation and for the way you've created each of us differently, but with similar desire to be a champion for you, Lord, to be a champion for our families, and to be a champion for our country. Father, we pray that today that you would encourage our hearts, that we would pursue you, that our desire would be to be a champion for your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the beginning, uh, the, a review of what we looked at last week in the beginning of this series. Jason's going to hand out some forms. If you weren't here last week and didn't get a binder, there is one here that's available that has uh, pages 1 through 5 in it. There are also some, some extra binders that don't have those if you want to participate in the rest of the series. You own? Or you left yours at home? I actually have them on my phone. Nice. That's, that's cheating to have them online. Okay. Good. Then nobody has any excuse not to have answers for questions today. So, the foundations and the framework that Glenn began uh, building last week with us. Why do we need uh, champions in the world? Why do, why do our workplaces need champions? Why do our families need champions? Kind of what it means to even be a champion. Did anybody look at these, review them, go over them with somebody else during the week, pages one through five? Okay. That's pretty awesome. Uh, even to, to try and cognitively remember what it is that we're after. Do you wake up one day and, and all of a sudden you're a champion? All of a sudden you're, and by champion, that doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we're striving for excellence. That what's acceptable and what we're longing for is God's best. Uh, some of the questions here, what exactly is a champion? Back on page one if you have yours in the binder. How do we understand and use the term? A warrior or a fighter? Now, I, I considered quite often this past week, and even Saturday after we left here, uh, a friend of mine and our sons headed up to Cabela's, and it gave us a chance to go over this with them. And what is it that the next generation sees in us as men? Now, my son knows most of you guys, at least by name, you know, but may not know your issues or your victories or really who you are. But what do they see in, in our generation versus their generation in defining a champion? And so we had to define some of these. What is a warrior? What's the difference between a warrior and a fighter? And I shared with my son that for most of my life I've just gone looking for fights. I've gone looking for opportunities to come out a winner regardless of what that meant. If it meant cheating, that was fine. If it meant you know, rigging something or showing up drunk so that I could win, that was fine. They were acceptable negatives in order for me to be seen as a winner. And so when we talked about it, it was really neat that his understanding of the difference between a warrior and a fighter had to do with the authority that one has and the authority that one is under. So a fighter is only under the authority of the person doing the fighting. But a warrior is under the command of somebody else. And so we talked a little bit about what does that look like? You know, a fighter, they don't even set up their own fights, they have promoters, they have managers. And yet, when we're a warrior for the kingdom of God and for our families, we've been given a king who tells us what to do and who will never tell us what to do that's going to be for our harm. That's pretty amazing. So, in putting into perspective with these two young men who are 12 and 13 years old, um, the idea of an advocate or a defender. And we use words like advocate not really knowing all that's entailed in them or the different aspects of it, the different perspectives of a, a word. And an advocate being somebody who stands in for us. We get to be somebody who stands in for someone else. It's pretty amazing that God has made us an advocate for His kingdom. You ever been a bad advocate for the kingdom of God? When you read scripture and you're like, uh-oh. I know I'm supposed to be like that, and that's not who I've been. It's pretty amazing. Defending the Scripture. You ever felt like the Scriptures are worth fighting for? But sometimes God says, I just want you to, to put it out there and, 
walk away. One who does battle for another's rights or honor. We live in a society that is trying to define rights by what feels right, not by an absolute truth. When you open your scriptures, when you open your Bible or your app, are you reading absolute truth? Have you determined in your heart that what you're reading is absolute truth? And that we need to conform our lives to the Bible, not to try and conform the Bible to our lives. I think there are many people that each of us know uh, or can think of where, maybe it's instances in our own lives, where we've taken a verse and we've used it out of context. Um, it happens easily because it, it justifies what we're doing. But when we look at the context of Scripture and apply it to our lives, it means that our lives need to change. And a winner of first prize in a competition. I love Paul's scriptures that talk about just continue on for the prize. Keep your eyes focused on the prize. But, but what is the prize? And we can also, Jesus, heaven, the Sunday school answers, you know, where all of a sudden the teacher's not going to call on us because we've said the generic term. But what really is the prize? The prize is that we get to arrive. We've actually done it. We've made it. We'll hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. But what about those who will hear, why do you call me Lord? Get away from me. I never knew you. And to really strive for the prize. The prize is a relationship with Jesus Christ. I love how Pastor John had mentioned in this, this last sermon. We get crowns for the, the five different forms of service that we do for the kingdom. You, we get a crown. But in Revelation, it tells us that we lay the crowns down before the feet of Jesus because even the crowns are worthless in light of His presence. I love that. So just becoming a person who serves or doing the actual service isn't, isn't the prize. The prize is to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And then which of, of each of those, a warrior, a fighter, an advocate, somebody who's standing in for the battle and rights of others, a winner of the first place prize, which are you? Champion in common practice is a combination of two things. What I am and am becoming, what I can do now, and committed to learning and we're becoming better. What are those things in our lives? Or do we get to a place where we're kind of sitting on a shelf where we've arrived somewhere and because of that, we're just going to stay there. We've plateaued in life. We're okay. Simpler way to say this is that every champion finds the right combination of who I am and what I can do. Are you in that place today? Have you defined yourself as more or less than a believer in Jesus Christ? And then there's so many enemies that are going to try and stop us. They're going to put not just negative things in our lives, but a sense of persistent comfort. You ever gotten to a place where you're no longer being challenged by the people you're hanging with? You're no longer challenged to be a person of integrity at work because everybody's morals just suck. The level and bar are so far down that regardless of what you do or say, you would still be a better representation of a good person and not necessarily a believer in Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have you ever been in a situation where, where the work ethic is so low that you probably couldn't do any less than being a superstar in that position. Doc, you're probably not a good one for that example. But the enemy wants us to feel comforted. Right? But we have a comforter. That in the midst of the storms and the trials and the, the persecution, we would be comforted. And there's a difference between the, the comfort that holds us hostage that I don't have to be any better today than I was yesterday. And the comfort that says in the midst of a storm, I'm still going to remain faithful to what the scriptures have taught me. Questions that Glenn gave us for homework <clears throat> to consider this week in exploring uh, the qualities and facets of being a champion. Is this true of me? That one's like getting kicked in the head. Because if you think yes, doesn't that show that there's more work we need to do? And if you say no, it doesn't show that there's more work we need to do. Number two, is this not true about me? Would others say that I'm becoming a champion for the kingdom? When others look at me, do they see a guy who's double-sided? 
Am I the same person in church as I am at work, as I am with my family? When real life situations come up and accidents happen in life, or am I the guy who explodes and all of a sudden I'm wondering where my Christianity went because it was nothing more than a religion, not a relationship? Do I even want it to be true or not true that being a champion is possible? Do I believe in my life that I can be a champion? That I can be part of encouraging and equipping others for acts of good service, that they can be champions as well through our relationship together with Christ and with one another. And then to consider, what would it take to actually be a champion? We talk kind of some terms that, that we can loosely throw out and have a loose understanding of, but what does it actually take? And is that a cost that I'm willing to pay? Am I willing to sacrifice and sleeping in on a Saturday morning to be here week after week? To come and to learn and to be challenged, to be changed, to grow together, to learn to trust guys with my heart. Show of hands, how many guys trust other guys with your heart, with the real you? Like it's, it's authentic and genuine. And how many of you have one man in your life that you can honestly say, I trust that man with my heart? So there is a very low level, a low percentage of us that are actually walking into those kind of relationships. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Why? Because we know it's going to cost us our vulnerability. It's going to cost us the walls that we put up, the fake personas. It's going to cost us confessing our sins to somebody and get this part of it, then praying with us so that we can be healed. I love that. But the, the verse doesn't even end there. It's James 5.16. It says, The prayers of a righteous man are both powerful and effective. How amazing is that? That's the champion that I want to be, that my prayers are both powerful and effective. I want to tell you a quick example. My son has what's called Panda's Disorder. I believe it's Disorder. It might be Syndrome. Right? Where we all get uh, strep throat. He has that in his brain. I forget what part of the brain. So when it acts out, or when it, it flares up, he has a lot of symptoms similar to Tourette's Syndrome. Vocal and, and physical tics. He also has these blisters that appear on his, his face. So, Tuesday night, he went to stay with my sister and her kids. Wednesday, they've, they've just exploded. Uh, they're all over his face, and, and some of the ticks are coming out, but he says, I feel great. My wife and I pray for our son, because if these things get into his eye, he will lose his eye. Wednesday morning... Vicky calls, you know, they FaceTime. Thank God for technology sometimes. They FaceTime, and it looks pretty bad. They're planning to go on a trip to my dad's. I think they leave this morning. Might have left last night. But at my dad's, we know that there are already stresses and, and irritants, just allergies and things that feed into it. And yet, when my wife saw Vincent yesterday, it was all dried up already there was nothing to be concerned about it. He was in the healing process of normally what takes months to heal took days. And I'm not saying it's because my prayers were powerful and effective, but because the God we serve is always powerful and is always effective. You can be your champion with the champion that your family needs. Then we discussed incremental versus radical change. Those things that over time we wean ourselves off of. Right? So if you've got an issue with swearing, you start reminding yourself. Jim does a pretty good job at this. Catching himself as he's saying it. I said pretty good, Jim. Not all the way. But pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. I saw a shirt the other day. Lady wore it to church. says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Right? Weaning ourselves from a pattern that we've allowed in our lives. Verse a radical change. Right? If, if you've been told that you have cancer, are you going to continue to smoke? Probably not. There are certainly some people who don't, and they find their, their end cycle a lot shorter. But understanding some things need to be an immediate change. February 25th of this past year, I decided I didn't want to have any more coffee. So actually, I guess it was the 24th. That wasn't from God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that a lot. 
<laughs> so it's now 200 and I think 17 days. I haven't had a cup of coffee. I didn't wean myself off. It was a radical change that I wanted to make because I believe God wanted me to do that. Why? I'm not exactly sure. But I haven't been triggered by anything. I still go into Wawa and don't need to buy a cup of coffee. I don't know what part it plays other than a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Right? If there were only the first eight, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, I, I could do those kind of maybe. But that self-control one really kicks me in the butt. If I want to be in a relationship with the Holy Spirit where He is the comforter, where He is the counselor, where He is the healer, those fruits should be evident in my life. The coffee was only one experience for me to have an opportunity to see whether I actually do have some self-control or not. Value proposition. Champions can and will disproportionate, excuse me, will have a disproportionate impact and influence on their environment and its inhabitants. Because this is true of a champion, they must give a disproportionate amount of time to the specific things which can have the greatest impact on his personal performance and his influence factor. So, in preparing for this morning, how many others have spent hours reviewing this material? Okay, one. I'll include myself, that's two. We can include Glenn, that's three. So this is just review of what we went over last week. This isn't even the stuff he's given us for this week. Keep in mind, a champion invests time in what they want to be a part of and what they want to do. So the questions last week, who stands or what stands beside you in that thing you want to be great at? Is it found in, in one of those? In uh, either passion or capability? And then to win takes skill, but to become a champion takes character. We talked about persevering and lasting through all the changes that have to happen. We ended last week with what's next for you, going through a personal process, and then a bunch of questions. How can I apply these ideas at work? Who else there needs to hear something I learned today? Who, whose help do I need to do something different? Where could I begin to apply the change process at work? And on and on and on. And we were given an accountability chart. Accountability charts are extremely helpful. The one thing that I had to go back to with the accountability chart was the last question asked, how can I address what I've just admitted to myself? Sometimes it's, it's about admitting to ourselves we still got some work to do. This week, the making of a champion, quality one, the idea of a firm and fixed desire or hunger versus the lack of clear mission and sense of a larger purpose into which it fits or a lack of identity. I've been part of ministries, well they started out as ministries, now they're groups, where I identified myself by the struggle. And I remember the night that, that I came to a resolution in heart that I could no longer be a part of that group where somebody stood up and said, Hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober for 46 years. I had 100 days. <coughs> I was a joke. I went home and I was suicidal because if this guy, after all these years, is still identified by the struggle, what hope do I have? That ministry helps a lot of people to find freedom over one particular addiction, but there's nothing or very little for a person's heart in finding their identity Today I can stand in front of a group of people and say, Hi, my name is Vinny, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. The rest doesn't even matter. And it's pretty amazing the freedom that I find in that. I'm no longer a slave by identity to the addiction that I had. So, that leads us into the beginning uh, of our study for today. We're going to use several contrasts. Right, so one thing in light of something else that shows the difference between the two. The example Glenn gives is it's very easy to see black lettering on white paper. You ever tried to put black lettering on black paper or white lettering on white paper? Look, I, w I was going to share with you guys today uh, a quick novel I had written, but I used the wrong color ink. You're welcome to read it. I brought two copies. Right? But don't we do that often in life? Where we're spending the time to do something, but it's not even something that really matters? 
we're giving priorities to things that don't show the contrast. We use terms like love versus what would be the opposite of love? Hate. Hate. But is it really? You ever seen the signs? Love trumps hate. My kids are like, Daddy, I don't, I don't get it. Of course it does. But that's not at all what the sign is implying. They're, they're not actually showing love. Isn't that sign in and of itself showing hate towards the president of our country? It's amazing the dichotomy of the way that we think and process. And yet you have groups of people who are up there chanting that. You're chanting about love, but doing it in hate. So, a firm and fixed desire or hunger. Fixed and consuming, this is the second paragraph down on the first page, page number six. Fixed and consuming desires, we need to understand it is to want a good thing in the right way and for the right reason and have that desire be a resolute one. You ever wanted something that's good, but you're willing to do something bad to get it? I use myself as an example. I wanted to be at states for cross-country running. But in order to qualify for states, you had to qualify in the top three for districts. I knew I'm not fast enough sober to qualify in top three for districts. So I showed up and I was drunk. And I qualified top three in districts. And I showed up for states and I ran there drunk and qualified eighth. It was a good thing to desire to want to be good at what I could do. But I was willing to let go of my own morals and to be corrupted by a, a false prize so that I could actually participate or win. And then to have it be a resolute one. Resolute is not always a good thing, a good quality, if it's not a good purpose that we're seeking. Right? I was resolute. I knew how I could qualify. But I was willing to do bad things, unhealthy things to get there. Not one swayed by the difficulty of its attainment or the span of time needed to reach it. To add one final clarification, a good and healthy hunger is one that can be held. For now, it might be helpful to understand that desire, driven desire as follows. The desire fire, to desire fire and pick it up is to be burned, injured, and perhaps killed by what you desire. Noble desires can be held and preserved and even prodded and encouraged without them destroying the holder. Any desire which reaches the destructive obsessive point is to be watched over and carefully handled. Fire held in the open hand is destructive. Fire lit on a candle and placed in a candle holder is fire that can be held and yet remains fire. We as champions want to hold our desire tightly but never allow it to consume us. How many of us believe in physical fitness is a good thing for our bodies? Uh, it's a good thing. You ever actually start and all of a sudden you're like pumping up and things are hurting or it becomes the obsessive compulsive behavior? I gotta go to the gym. I, I can't be at church. I gotta go work out. I can't make connect groups or Bible studies because now I gotta go work out. And we put all of those things ahead of or above the actual, uh, the actual desire that we had. Scenario one, in our contrast, imagine being comfortable, just comfortable enough and allowing your children to remain just comfortable enough in the moment. They're okay. You ever decided to be comfortable in your life just so you don't have to deal with the actual challenges of growth and change? And then we allow our kids to become comfortable? What's another word for comfortable when it's just enough? Complacent. complacent, right? The, the contrast, complacent versus content. To be content with where God has us means we've found peace in God and who He is and what He has provided for us. But to be complacent means we have settled for less than God's best. I had the opportunity to, to share a sermon a couple years back. And we had a, a dinner that night. It was pretty awesome. And after dinner, I asked one of the guys to bring up the trash can. And I took the lid off the trash can and I started to walk around the congregation. And I said, 
I would love for you to pick something out of here. And whatever you pick, you can keep. But oddly enough, nobody wanted anything from the trash. But I said, isn't that what we're willing to do in life? We're willing to accept whatever somebody's offering, even if we know it's trash, instead of waiting for the best that God has for us. Because it's going to mean that we have to persevere through some stuff. When we challenge our kids to grow, so you strive for nothing greater and ask nothing more from yourself and provide nothing more for them. It's easy to assume we don't live that way or think that way until we look a little more closely. Question, what big things are you living for right now? So before we even look at, we all know Glenn's things are going to be based on Scripture and the desires that God gives us of our heart. But how many of us strive for a bigger house, a newer or nicer car, the next great entertainment system, a bigger TV, a title in our job, a position where we feel we have some authority or, or say and stuff. But what are the bigger things that God is drawing us towards that may mean we are actually getting smaller and smaller and smaller while He gets bigger and bigger in our lives? Good, Jim. So when you, if you look at the bottom of page 6, in parentheses, he has, Stuff is not the problem here, but rather the lack of useful purpose for living that exacts a demanding commitment for you and yields a dramatic win for many uh, when it is achieved. Champions have stuff, but stuff acquisition is not the centerpiece of their life mission, nor is it even the motivation for excellence. Isn't that pretty amazing? I want my kids not to desire to have stuff. Uh, Anthony and I have walked together for a while on a, a desire to me for, for Jordan sneakers. I don't want my kids to want Jordan sneakers. I want my kids to be comfortable with whatever they have, whatever God has provided, but not to settle for less than God's best, but to receive whatever God gives them cheerfully. Just as we're called to give cheerfully, to receive it, with a heart that understands what God is doing in their lives. So scenario two, imagine you're in an alleyway, and this one, for those of us that have daughters, kind of hit home for me. And he talks about somebody, three guys come up to you, and they're, they're willing to... Uh, well, I'll just read it. It's night, you and your daughter have opted to take a shorter way home from some event and take in the alley since it saves a couple of blocks of walking. You are accosted by three strong men who want to grab your daughter and take her purse. You willingly risk your life to protect her. You place yourself between their greed or lust and her vulnerability. 
You are severely wounded in the fight, but you hold them off, and she and you return home, she having been spared violation or loss. But as the weeks and months pass, you allow her complacency about life and commitment to immediate pleasure to take her to destructive places. Or you fail to provide for her a pathway to better opportunity in her future. You have stepped in to rescue her in the moment, but that bravery was not connected to a larger story of your hopes for her future. Protection from harm is by definition the work of champions, but it is not their only work. Protection from harm which allows a person the opportunity to go on to greatness is the more worthy goal. Great champions have a dream they fight for which can culminate in a moment or a season of victory. But that apex should also be seen as part of a larger story with a larger purpose. Do you recognize that today is part of a larger purpose? That the victory that you can have today is meant for more than just today's victory. That as it becomes part of the larger purpose, the larger picture of who we have been created to be, a group of 20 men here today have a greater purpose than us just sitting here together. We have a purpose outside of Bible study and into a purpose of Bible application to challenge one another. Today we're looking at desire as a quality of being a champion. Do you have something in your heart that you desire to do for the Kingdom of God? Desire is three-step. I hunger to become, I hunger to do, and I hunger to be with. The first danger to watch for is that of believing that a desire achieved can answer a series of questions. We've all done this, right? You achieve something and find that it was really empty that it didn't hold the promise that you had hoped it would or that you were told it would? The questions that it can't answer, who am I, what am I, and why am I? As I thought about that this week, why can't it answer those questions that I would be a millionaire? Why can't it answer those questions that I'd be a superstar or a rock star? Because those are all things that I do, not who I am. At the end of life, I hope I'm remembered for who I am. And that the things I've done will be part of showing the world who Christ was in me. Identity apart from accomplishment. You are the steward of your life. You are its manager. You're not an inventor or the originator. This is a statement at the heart of the comprehensive gospel. You must manage you, and there is no escaping that truth. And therefore, your hunger or its lack, your identity and its root, will be both the launching pad and the boundaries around your life. Glenn talks at the bottom of page 7, two scripture verses that cry out loudly, but in code that is often confused by some to have other meanings. If you look over on page 8, those two verses. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good purpose. Excuse me, good pleasure. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Do you have a relationship with God? How much of those two verses is actually true, applicable, and evidenced already in your life? If we were in a court of law and this was the deciding factor of guilt in your life, would you be convicted? Are there enough evidences in your life that you have obeyed God that you would be convicted of being a Christian? What about those in your family that you have an influence over? What about those in, in our workplaces where we have the opportunity to impact somebody's eternity? and we walk away for fear of what they'll think of us, what they'd say about us? Do you have a greater want to just fit in, to be liked, to be accepted, to be part of your group? I spent most of my life trying to fit in somewhere and I was willing to do whatever it took to find that. It wasn't until I found a group of folks who identified as believers in Jesus Christ 
that I finally found my home. I finally found where I could belong. Where I could actually show up broken. I could show up hurting. I could acknowledge out loud weaknesses and not be seen as weak. But to actually be seen as confident in Christ. It's pretty amazing. What Paul suggests is that each man or woman reading the thoughts below that's the scripture, will need to ask himself if he follows Jesus because he wants to or because his group does. Does he follow Jesus because others he likes do or because some current day version of Paul to us does and each of us wants that quote-unquote Paul to respect him or approve of him or to like him. What is he talking about, this, this Paul? What do you think... Nobody mentioned Paul. What about Paul's life? Could be reflected or proved as an example that we would want to follow or we want somebody in a Paul position in our lives to approve of us or to like us. Go ahead, Anthony. Okay, so the Paul, the, the story of Paul, the, the story of a man who's converted through a vision of Christ. And it wasn't a vision. Having Christ show up to him. But there, there's something much more simple that we can overlook. Paul raised men up to be leaders. Timothy, Titus, a whole lot of other folks that rode with him. Luke was with him on a missions trip, Barnabas, Silas. And in all the churches that he planted, to have somebody who's you know is in relationship with Jesus Christ, and then to have a mentor, right? That's what he's talking about. To have somebody who we appreciate as a mentor position, that, that we see qualities and characteristics in their life that we want in our own. And if that person approves of me, maybe I've done something right. I've arrived somewhere. But isn't that all in vain? Is it Paul's pressure or perhaps peer pressure that keeps them following? Or are their individual hearts really in this thing? Hunger is right and appropriate when it is the fire in the vessel. One of the reasons that so many Christians are reluctant to strive for greatness is because the numerous stories of those who have arrived at their pinnacle period or pinnacle moment and found emptiness in it. Part of the reason for that emptiness is that for years they have worked diligently and tirelessly toward a time-bound goal, which once reached leaves them with no next steps and no story for how that pinnacle milestone fits into a larger story and a bigger purpose beyond that moment of greatness. The greatness is achieved and as quickly as it is reached, it is gone. Nothing secures it or anchors it with permanency. One of the things that I think of as I was reading this this week is I follow folks who hike the Appalachian Trail. It's a little over 1,800 miles that they actually walk. It takes about six months to do from Georgia to Maine. And I've always loved the idea of going and doing this. And I follow these people on YouTube and so I watch their updates. And then I watch when they reach Mount Katahdin, the pinnacle of this whole long six month trip. And then they drop off the face of the earth. And then you hear them a couple weeks or a couple months later with no purpose left in life. Struggling, returning to jobs. And one guy returned to a job at Pizza Hut. Absolutely hated it. One of his goals when he got home was to shave the beard he had grown by not shaving this entire hiking trip. And you know what happened when he shaved? He got pretty desperate for purpose in life again. 
from something as simple as shaving a beard. No offense, Ryan. It's pretty amazing that if we set only these minor milestones, but we miss that it belongs in a larger picture of life, we can become so focused on that that when we reach the pinnacle, it feels like there's nothing left for us to do. So what is it that your desire is? What are the things that you are steadfast in achieving as the greater picture in life? What are the things that as, as a group of men here that meet Saturdays that we challenge one another to be a part of in figuring out a group, large picture? The military does a great job during basic training. You take a group photo and you have everybody from your platoon in this photo. She might have 50 or 60 folks in there. But it's at the beginning of basic training. And it's a means of encouraging a brotherhood, a fellowship, a platoon. When you go into battle and you go into situations of, of intense training, it's important that we know that we have others there with us. One of the ways that they do it is that you all get broken down to nothing. You're told all kinds of things about you that aren't necessarily true in Scripture, but then they build you back up into a team. Glenn has spent several years building us up to be a team of men who, one, can help hold one another accountable, two, who are willing to be vulnerable and accountable to each other, and then three, in the larger picture of things, that we have opportunities along the way to serve in our community. We have opportunities to grow and to challenge one another. Jim Ron at the bottom of page 8, is quoted as saying, You may well succeed at your endeavor, but only if you will work harder on yourself than you do on your endeavor. In other words, it's not enough that I'm me. I need more. That more comes from you. It comes from our Sunday morning church family. It comes from my Celebrate Recovery family and my accountability there. What do you need in addition to your life where you are today in order to meet those goals and desires and hungers that God has placed on your heart. We talked about this in a previous series. Control what is yours to control. Your destiny, your fate, your certainty of accomplishment, they're not in your hands. You are not Lord of all. However, you are little L, Lord, of your stewardship. Missing this creates motivated or passive sons of God. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, is how Jesus words it, meaning there are some things under your control and some that aren't. Yes and no imply that you have authority. If you didn't, then you would have no right, no business, and no benefit to saying either yes or no. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, uh, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, is how James counters this to bring balance. Both speakers convey the same principle in different ways. Understand what is yours to control and do so with might. But know also what is beyond your control and don't confuse the two. You ever done that? You get in a car and you're going down a road, let's say the turnpike, and the speed limit's 70, but you're able and capable of doing 90. And you do that. And when the red and blue go on behind you, you realize and remember, you didn't have the authority to actually do 90, even though you were capable of it. And they give you this paper, usually yellow, at least mine have been, with a reminder on it. And you have the opportunity to pay for that reminder. That though you have the capability of doing something, you don't have the authority to do it. But then there are opportunities where we have the authority and the capability of doing something, and we choose not to. You ever saw somebody homeless or in need? You ever driven by somebody who has a flat tire knowing that you have the capability to help change a tire, and you don't stop? Having the capability doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to. Winners win, but champions endure. 
Winning is a moment in time. There is play, there is competition or battle, then there is a decisive moment of victory or success, and then that moment is gone. The winning has been accomplished, celebration is what comes naturally after winning, or perhaps rewards or accolades might come too. But these are all only temporary satisfaction because the celebratory spirit can rarely and should only rarely last longer than the time spent in the battle. The glory of the moment dims and repeated celebration of a past success begins to feel empty. You ever had that happen? Where you review maybe a past reward, you know, an employee of the month award or you know, something from high school and we still try to live it out? I would love to run a five minute mile like I used to. Do you know I'd be lucky if I could run a 15 minute mile with my knees now. But I still try to pretend that I could do that. I doubt I could outrun my 12 year old son. But I certainly want to. The winning that I used to be able to do doesn't define the champion that I became. Champions endure. You imagine running an Olympic level race today, right? Having the opportunity, let's just say the Olympic committee decided that all of us were going to be given an opportunity, but we we're going to run against, what's that guy's name, Usain Bolt? The guy's like a three, three minute, 40 second mile, and they want all of us to line up, so maybe together we could push each other fast enough, or, or peer pressure, we could encourage one another to run faster. There's no way we're touching this guy. Right? We can barely drive that fast. So opportunity doesn't necessarily define our capabilities either. But enduring. Past success, success is, plural, that are not steps towards or components in a future-oriented mission cause us to look backward for affirmation of who we are but it is who we were and not who we are today. And it is actually not even who we were, but only what we did. What we have done is not a foundation strong enough to support who we really are and who we really long to be. Believing that what we have done is who we are now keeps us perpetually striving for the wrong reasons. That is a destructive desire. It is the fire we hold in our hands which burns us down. You ever had a negative something happen in your life and you hold on to that as part of what you've done or who you are? And you can't find freedom over it? You can't find peace with it? There is no comfort in it? I've defined myself as an alcoholic, but I haven't had a drink in 12 years as of last month. I'm no longer, by definition, an alcoholic, but the world would, would be okay if I let myself be defined by that. But my God is not okay with that. He's called us to much more. What things in your life have you defined yourself by something in the past and have not been able to find freedom and healing over it? Then there's the option of oversimplifying reality. The champions we think of and know about we often know from a distance or we think only of these type of people as champions. The movie hero often has no wife or husband, no children to care for, no ailing parents in need of regular attention. On those occasions when the move hero, movie hero <laughs> does have these responsibility, the tension is seen as comedy. You ever watch something like Wild Hogs where all these big tough guys hop out on their Harleys but they got families? And then one guy, his wife shows up and like slaps him, tries to get him to remember the reality of life around him. He's not some big tough gang guy. You ever been reminded of life by getting slapped in the face by life? Right? The Appalachian Trail videos I've shared with you. I can't just leave my family for six months. I have to live vicariously through these other people. Don't we do that often in life? This example Glenn gives, our lives are like 10,000 piece, a 10,000 piece mosaic made mostly of very ordinary moments, but interspersed in the 10,000 pieces are the 500 pieces that make up our champion opportunity. We must recognize their pattern and see them as that. Even as we look through scripture, we see it. There are very little talk 
of Jesus handling family problems. No children, no regular job during his ministry season, and no apparent wife to comfort or be home for. The same it would appear is true for Paul, who was free to travel the Roman Empire and found churches. That means setting them up. Not he like showed up and, oh, there's a church here. He set them up. Right? Yet in the same scriptures is found Abraham, a man with a wife, a nephew with some frustrating qualities, a business to manage, and no permanent residence. This, may, this man, too, was a champion, but his story is more the mosaic that must be studied carefully to see the patterns. Moses, too, the deliverer of plagues and people, was a man with a complicated story and many pieces, yet we see and read little of Moses' wife and kids, the larger family, etc., Champions, it seems, come in a variety of shapes, styles, and with varying qualities of helpful and even unhelpful baggage. Don't be blinded by the superhero or Jesus. These lives are different than yours. Your life may well be more like Abraham's or like David's, with cranky wives, rebellions to quell, everyday people problems to solve, his own lust to manage, and yet a kingdom to establish and a nation to lead. Commitment comes from an ongoing pursuit of useful success. It's very, it is also very true that most of us are really unwilling to pay the tremendous perceived cost to attain the level of a champion. Here he gives study Deuteronomy 6 and 7. God actually does lay out a formula for rich blessing and contentment and even happiness. But this happiness that is durable comes at a cost. Even keeping just ten laws which can bring to all a rich satisfaction with life is beyond us. We want lasting happiness, but if it comes at the cost of short-term self-denial, they perhaps, then perhaps will settle for short-term pleasure or ease or expediency rather than experiencing struggle in the short term. So, do we want to be truly happy? Yes, but only if it doesn't cost much. One very simple, low-hanging fruit is, is pornography in our society. Do we want to have to invest in a marriage? Right? So not just pornography itself, but sex outside of a God-ordained marriage. Where it's very easy to find ourselves immediately satisfied, but feeling guilty also immediately after until our hearts and minds have become so calloused and burned that we no longer even struggle with it. Because to invest in a marriage takes a lot of time. I don't know about you guys, I didn't meet my wife and the next day we were married. But I can tell you this, within a month we were pregnant. I wasn't, she was. But I had a part to play in that, and that was sin. But very few people in the world wanted to call it sin. We've made mistakes. We've been immature. And all kinds of other stuff that people were willing to say and willing to accept us. But those who were willing to call it sin helped lead us to Christ. Because it was showing that they valued Him and His values as absolute truth. That they were unwilling to they were unwilling to let go of that in order to hold on to us. There's questions that Glenn finishes with for today. And I want to emphasize, matter of fact, I can't emphasize enough how important these are to take home and to consider. The reason you have a binder is because we're building something here. Keep these notes. Review them during the week. Go over them with your kids or people at work or wherever you would have opportunity. Call one of the guys in this group who's going through it together as we build a foundation and now have looked at an, a characteristic of to be a champion means to have a healthy desire, to have a drive for a bigger purpose, to have a value system that's based on truth, not stuff. The family conversation. What are we living for in the moment and how are we conscious of its part in a larger picture? Today is part of something. i, I got to tell you, today for me is a victory because I woke up with a hurting back, hurting knees, and more hurting pride because I did a floor yesterday at my house. It's only 13 by 13 and I'm in pain today. 
but I valued being here more than being comforted, more than taking Tylenol or aspirin to avoid the pain. I wanted to be here with you guys, to be challenged, to be changed. Part of the larger picture, viewing growth as not ending until the day the cover on my lid or the cover on my box is sealed. That I'm constantly desiring to be changed for growth. When we get to the end of a season of intentional sacrifice or hard effort on behalf of a good goal, how long will that present satisfaction and pleasure be found in that previously achieved goal? You ever celebrated something too long? Now, we're all men here. You ever had your wife remind you of something bad well beyond the time that it actually happened? You ever had somebody say to you, you always, or you never, and you know inside that's not true? I might do it often, but I'm working towards doing it less and less. And we allow those things to become a place of contention in our heart. When we live our lives together in pursuit of non-related individual seasons of grasping after things, or can we find more connection and live more boldly towards a large future if all our small missions are seen as part of this larger mission and ongoing purpose? That's what we do here Sunday mornings. We meet together for a time of learning and changing, of being challenged to go out. The mission field starts as soon as you leave the door. We don't have to be in Haiti or, or some other country. It's great if we have opportunity to do that. But what about right here? What about in our own families? What about in ourselves? You know, the hardest person to witness to is the guy in the mirror. He always shows up. I learned a saying in my AA meetings, everywhere I go, there I am. So if I'm not dealing with me first, I don't have the ability to help anybody else. Work conversations. What do we stand for, believe in, work toward here at this company or this division or this team? I've got to tell you, my work is a constant struggle for me because our goals are not the same. Someday my hope is I'll get fired for witnessing. But their goal and their hope is to achieve financial success. To be able to retire with money in the bank to live a comfortable remaining time here on earth. I don't have that same desire, I don't have that same goal, and it causes conflict. Certainly conflict of interest in how I treat people. They tell me go up and, and you know, intimidate people into letting things happen, and I won't do it. I don't get invited to job meetings anymore when things are going to be uh, shady at best. I don't get invited into opportunities to speak with township officials and the, the boards for different communities we're putting buildings up because there are things that aren't going to be true that they'll say there. I'm not invited to talk with building owners anymore because they ask me the questions and not people that work above me because they know they're going to hear what they want to hear and not the truth. How does the team I work in or lead support the values of the company? Does the company have clearly expressed commitments? Do you know them? Have you asked? I want to add to that, do you agree with them? Do you agree with what the company says they stand for? What is the way of our doing a better job here? How can I lead or serve noble improvement, even if or especially if I am not in charge? What impact do you have? You, you always have the impact of your example. People will know whether you can be trusted because you've been trusted and have been faithful in it. And for our individual reflection, what do I see that I'm just tired of complaining about and which I will be bold enough to try changing? What needs my fight, my protection, my stand? I think of our Celebrate Recovery ministry here Tuesday nights. So much of the world hears that word recovery and thinks we're just a bunch of drug addicts and alcoholics that show up. And yet Celebrate Recovery is less than 20%. I'm a state rep. This is a statistic that I've learned worldwide. Less than 20% of the folks who attend a Celebrate Recovery have even ever had drug or alcohol addictions, but struggle with overeating, overspending, unhealthy boundaries in marriage and relationships. Sexual addiction is absolutely huge and epidemic. We hear so much about the opiate epidemic because people are dying. But let me tell you, there are many, many people going to hell 
And part of that bondage is through sexual addiction. What is it that's worth living for? There was a man years ago asked me, and I've shared this here before, would you die for your wife? I said, absolutely, I would kill for my wife. He said, that is not at all the question I just asked you. He said, would you die for your wife? And I thought about it for a while. And so I do believe, given an opportunity to die for my wife, I would. He said, are you willing to live a life where you're willing to die for your wife? Because it's going to look a little different than what it does now. And I'll tell you, the more I have thought about that in the last 15 years, he was absolutely right. What is worth living for is just as important as what's worth dying for. Because your life will be changed to try and make that uh, a priority. Is it worth dying for? We're all dying, even if that is uh, a day at a time. Giving your life to something is just a longer form of dying for it. What would defending or fighting for this thing cost me and those around me? Will I live with greater regret later in life for, for the doing or the not doing? Is this thing of such burning importance that I am willing to sacrifice other things in order to fight for or work toward this one thing? Am I willing to give up or give to or work on becoming who I need to be to stand in this arena and stand in this gap? I must work toward the thing but I must also have a burning desire to work on me to become who I must be. Do you know what you need to do, who you need to become in order to stand in the gap you see and defend or pursue this thing? As we leave this week again, I can't encourage you enough to consider these questions. To maybe sit down and take a couple minutes and actually write out the answers to these questions. That as you think about your life becoming a champion, what are you becoming a champion for? Where is the gap where you can stand in? Where is the gap where we as a group of men can stand in together in our community, whether in our church family or the Quakertown area? Where can we make an impact for the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Where can you make an impact today? Let's close in prayer. Anybody have any any requests? Go ahead, Ed. Um, a really good friend of mine uh, just had some severe back surgery. I mean, I also really 